Greetings, I am Erin Patton, metaphysical master in a millennial age, and it is my life's purpose to guide you and organizations along an enlightened path. So I invite you to sit comfortably and tune in as I welcome you to the Meta Business Millennial, where we get the real conversations you won't get in the boardroom so that we understand this is exactly the path we need to be on in order to grow, evolve, and thrive. Greetings, I am Erin Patton, also known as Master L, and I am joined here today with Miss Lindsay Huxford, who is a self-love coach and just a beautiful human being. So not just, and also a beautiful human being. So I love to just welcome Lindsay to our show. Hey, so happy to be here. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here because I am so honored to speak with you, a fellow fashionista um, turned healer. And I would like to start with just getting to know a little bit more about you. So tell us where you're from, how you grew up, um, a little bit about your traditional work in fashion and how was it Devil Wears Prada-like? Like, give us details, okay? So, um, I am from Des Moines, Iowa. So, mm-hmm. I grew up, I was born and raised there. And I think my foray to fashion really started, I my first retail job was at Hollister <laughs> back in the day. You know, and they, like, recruited people when you came into the store. Yes. <laughs> I was a senior in high school and I loved it. I loved like the fast pace. I loved, you know, picking things out for people. I loved just all the energy behind it and the, you know, creativity behind it. So I went to college. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to work for a fashion magazine because I the hills. I watched the Devil Wears Prada and I was like, yes, I want to work in fashion and magazine. So Went the journalism route. And then I found out I was working a retail job at Dillard's department store and um, found out that Iowa State, which was a local university, had a fashion program, like a top 10 in the country fashion program, which was like an hour away from me. And I was like, I didn't even know that. I thought I had to move to LA, go to FITM, just like LC did. <laughs> like I yeah. didn't know I get that education in Iowa. So I went there and I did apparel merchandising major and then a journalism minor. And at that point, it was kind of, this was like the late 2000, so 2009, 2010, when journalism was already like print media was already kind of on the decline because of the internet. So I was kind of like, well, people always are going to need clothes. They're always going to buy things. So that's why I went for apparel over journalism at that time. And majored there. And then I got an internship out in LA for my last summer. So I moved out here. I live in LA now to um, be, it was like a whole, it was design and sales internship. And I lived at a frat house at USC with one of my other friends. It was was so fun, but it was, you know, USC is really close to downtown. So it was such a fun summer. And then I moved back to Iowa and just this was like after the market crash, after the whole recession back in the early 2010s. And yeah, so I had a lot of trouble finding a job and I moved back to Iowa for about 
nine months and was like, I can't, I don't want to be here after like experience LA. I was like, this isn't, you know, my soul is in LA. So act up, like had no job, no friends. I found a house on Craigslist with rando people that I was like, I'm going, I'm determined to make this happen. So me and my mom packed up the U-Haul, drove across country, moved in with these rando people who were amazing people. And I'm still friends with to this day. And yeah, I got a job within the first month that I moved out there. It was just quite the journey and I loved it. And so I worked, um, for a handbag company was my first job. Um, since I worked retail, I had a lot of sales experience. So I always worked on the sales side, um, working, you know, like Nordstrom and Von Mar and Bloomingdale's and all those big outlets Yeah, at a handbag company. And then I moved over to a hair accessories company, which was so fun. And that's kind of where my career really took off. I got promoted basically overnight to a national sales manager, which means at age, I think I was 26, I was managing 70 sales reps, all the trade shows, like managing the warehouse, making sure orders went out. Like I had to learn very, 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 very fast. And at the same time, that's kind of what started leading to my burnout with the fashion industry. So yeah. And then I had two more jobs after that. I worked for a phone case accessories company. And then, um, I started working at an outerwear company, but then the pandemic hit (laughs) and then that's where everything changed. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's start about what, what changed, how did everything change? I think the thing with fashion is that they're seasoned, right? And you're seeing new products every season. So there's really no way you're on this hamster wheel. And right when you think about maybe I need a break or maybe I should take some time off, like you're like, no, I can't because the new, the new, um, catalogs coming out and I have to like tell the reps about it. Like it just never stopped. And the pandemic was the first time in since I started working and went to college that I had time to just stop and reflect. And I was like, do I really like this? You know, and I had hit all my goals. I moved to LA. I was, you know, working right under CEOs of these fabulous companies Mm -hmm. and it just didn't light me up like it used to. And I think, you know, I worked for a few narcissistic bosses and it just kind of made the experience not as much fun as I hoped it would be, but I did it and I was proud of myself. And then during the pandemic, I was like, but I didn't like who I was. Yeah. I was doing it. And that's like a, you know, knife in your chest, like kind of thought to have, but you just, you know, make the choices to make a change. Mm. And so when you're thinking back to, I mean, that was just a few years ago and the pandemic did a number on everyone. Like, I feel like that's essentially when my spiritual being really started to flourish and I was a new mother and coming out of grief and, or in the middle of grief rather. And, um, and so for me, I had no choice but to go to God and go to the the spiritual route to really just keep me waking up every day. And it seems like for you, you were going through a transition, but was there like a catalytic moment or a story you can share that really kind of woke you up and was just like, I need to make these changes. And and when you did, like, what were those changes that you made? Yeah, I still remember the moment and it was, I couldn't sleep. It was like April. So it was still kind of, we were still all processing April, 2020 processing like what's going to happen what am I doing I was applying for fashion jobs but I would like ghost the interview and I was like that's not like me like I don't 
you know? So I was like, what am I doing? But I still remember the moment I was sitting like in the bathtub at five in the morning. Cause I love to take baths. It's like how I relax. Yeah. And it's just like, you don't have to go back. Like you can do something else, you know? And I still, but I was very retreated into myself and my best friend, like she had texted me a bunch of times and finally texted my now husband and was like, is she okay? Like she never not responds to me. And I realized like I was not okay. Mm. So I was like, it's up to me to make these changes. So the first thing I did, and it sounds so simple now, but so big at the time was starting to move my body. And that's something I never prioritized before. And I had this friend who worked out all the time and was so excited about it. And I was just like, okay, whatever, (laughs) you know? And once I started doing it, like it unlocked creativity in my brain. I didn't even knew I had, and I was so excited to do it every day. And it was something for me and it made me feel better. And it wasn't about the way I looked. It was just how I felt. Yeah. And it just, yeah, that definitely like catalyzed the forward momentum. Cause I was like, how do I help other people feel this way? And Mm. then that's when, you know, signs started coming. I was like, I need some help with this. And I found my self-love certification and it just kind of hasn't stopped since, but definitely in that moment in the bathtub where I was just like laying there, like, what am I doing? (laughs) You know, those, like those moments where you're like, I can't keep going like this. And I just realized being burnt out and doing what I was doing in the fashion industry, like doesn't have to be the way anymore. Mm. And for you, like, you were like, okay, this doesn't have to be the way. And for a lot of folks that are watching us and listening to us, I feel like they may be where you are, where they're just like, this can't be it. Like, there's so much more out here. Mm -hmm. And for them, a lot of times, and for me too, when I was making the transition, it was like, how the fuck am I going to pay my bills? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's always the first concern is like, but you were already, I, I guess, kind of already in the transition. Can you speak more to like how you practically went about that transition? From being, you know, full-time collecting a check to now I'm certified as a self-love coach and I want to do this um, to make money. Mm -hmm. Definitely a lot of trust. And that's something (laughs) I learned. And my certification was self-trust. And I just had this conviction. It was like the same energy when I decided to move out to LA. I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is happening. I remember calling my mom and being like, this is what I'm doing. Like, you know, and it's just having that trust. Um, and I know it's so ethereal to say, but it is really the truth. (laughs) It's just, you know, especially with money, I really had to work on my money mindset and trust that more money, money's energy. There's always more money coming. And it really just has kept coming when I started realizing money's energy and you know, there's so many steps behind that too. Feeling your emotions, feeling your feelings, being in your body. And yeah, I think I just never lost that trust within myself and within the universe to deliver the money. (laughs) I love this. And I love how you talked about the money as the energy, because we have talked about it a little bit on this show, but I would want to get into a little bit more detail from you about how you perceive it. And And I feel like this could be a healing for us, for other folks that are listening and watching to really explore this money as energy. Mm -hmm. And it comes when you need it. 
because I was talking recently with one of my clients last week. I coached a lot of CEOs, a lot of executives because of my particular background in business Mm -hmm. around how to even reassess our performance because a lot of CEOs are assessed by their profits, their bottom line, and Mm -hmm. then what they can bring forth for the board and their shareholders. And so money matters, period. Mm -hmm. And we were just kind of just speculating around like, what are some of the other criteria by which we can measure ourselves beyond money? And and of course, that took its own kind of direction, et cetera. But at the core, money was still and is still creating a sense of fear, even though it's something that is just as abundant as, you know, source light. Mm-hmm. So like what how do you describe your kind of relationship with money and the money as energy? I just would love to understand. Definitely. I always think even when I'm like meditating, I think of it as like a tap in the cosmos that it's always just flowing like down into my crown chakra, like down into me. Okay. <laughs> and I visualize that a lot. Um you know, and basically anytime I pay for groceries or I pay rent, I'm always like that money is coming back to me. So it's really like your mindset behind it too. And not being afraid, you know, of when you're in the grocery store and you're looking at the chicken and this one's 15 cents more, you know, it's just kind of like putting those things aside. And I really try to just think of money as not like a physical object. And those are kind of the practices I use. Um, I hope that was answering the question. Yeah, that's a great way because these are are little, these are real things that people can apply to their everyday lives to try to have more of an affinity, I guess, if you can say it, or a better relationship with. And I would say for me too, being able to feel into the fear Mm -hmm. has been really powerful in helping me to heal it. Because I realized that a lot of my fears of money didn't come from me. It came from, even though I grew up in a household with parents that were doctors and made money, like it was always a scarcity mindset around it. Like it doesn't grow on trees and it doesn't, you know, we got to be conscious of how we spend this and that. And I had nice things too, but it was just still really, um, I mean, they would fight over it and secrets behind it and this person kept it away from that person. And it was just like, damn, like why this kind of hoopla about it? So um, I really appreciate those tips too. And I'm sure our audience does. And getting back though to your your business, mm-hmm. talk to us a, l- a little bit about how you made that transition. And, you know, when you decided to become, okay, categorically I'm using this energy and directing this energy to my business, um, how did you get your first clients? Like, and what did you want to do for them? Like, what was kind of like your ethos or your mission behind the work? Definitely was stopping the burnout, right? And realizing that our worth doesn't have to be in our job and in our job title, and that there's so much more to our lives and work. And as someone who worked, you know, 12 to sometimes 18 hour days, like flying guys, doing a meeting, leaving, like I never, it's just really, my goal was for people to experience joy again. And there's so much more to life than our jobs, which our jobs are amazing, you know, but there has to be that healthy balance. And so I really, you know, set out to work with burnt out people who are at, at that catalyst of like, there has to be more than life, you know, and mm-hmm. realizing a paycheck is a paycheck and what else is there. So 
I, you know, my first client clients honestly were my friends and friends of friends because I was, you know, and they paid me and they were happy to pay me because we did the money mindset work. And um, now they're thriving. Like my first client was my best friend and she, after we worked together, it doubled her salary and, wow. yeah, and got a promotion. So, you know, that was the first time I was like, wow, okay. <laughs> you know, like, yes. People's lives. And it really just helped motivate me. And, you know, word of mouth since then, friends of friends of friends. And then, you know, being on social media has been so helpful. But yeah, mainly helping people just stop with the burnout and heal themselves, creating that mind body connection so that they don't feel trapped in their feelings and their emotions and know how to work through them. Mm. And in terms of like your personal life, are there any stories, maybe particularly from your childhood or maybe even your adulthood? I always speak about my trauma and my childhood growing up and, you know, losing my sister, my dad being incarcerated, dealing with a grieving mother and all the kind of like things that happen as an adult too, with my family and losing my dad unexpectedly and friend and mom now having, um, dementia and dealing with her kind of recovery from that it it, all of those all of that to say kind of the cliff notes version created many kind of like um awakenings for me in terms of just like okay this is this life path is not going to be easy especially as a child and kind of the emotional suppression all that came with it and then same as an adult like revisiting those same kind of heavy emotions and how do I sit with them and work through them because that's really what catalyzed my spiritual awakening. And for you, obviously, as a self-love coach, you have to speak with people who are going through some pretty hard realities, whether it's at work or in their lives. And do you have some stories or some experiences maybe that you can speak to that really were soul crushing that you had to kind of crawl your way out of or find ways to heal from? Yeah. I mean, most mainly I would say like from those really toxic jobs and Mm -hmm. those were something I still have to work through every day. And that has sometimes held me back in my business and I have to really overcome that. But I was thinking the other day how, when I moved to LA, which was about 10, 11 years ago this summer, how happy and confident I was. Cause I just moved out there, you know, with no friends, no job. And I started the job at the, at an accessories company. And that boss really just wore me down and wore me down. Mm-hmm. And it was, I'm trying to I have so many stories, but <laughs> you know, some of the tough ones were just like, he would tell me that people didn't like me. And I think that was a way to um, separate me from people and like isolate me part of like gaslighting, you know, and yes. be like, Oh, no one likes me. Okay. And it slowly like wore me down time after time. And I think that's something I still have to work through to this day. Sometimes I'm scared to be seen. And sometimes, you know, I'm just like, Oh, what are people going to think about me? Yeah. And it's hard, but you have to sit with the emotion. And I'm not going to give my power away to this person anymore. And right. Um, it's really just, yeah, sitting with that emotion. What is this about, you know, and really kind of reverse engineering to where that emotion started and, you know, choosing another emotion and working that through your body, through movement, dancing, whatever you want, whatever works for you. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I have so many stories from that. It really wore me down. And like, sometimes I'm very sad about it that I came out of that job, a totally different person, like a shell of a human. And no one knew what that was. Like, I never talked about it. I would just put on a happy face, act like everything was fine. Never told, you know, like my best friends had no idea. Only like my mom and my boyfriend knew how bad it was. And then you have that like self-worth where I could have left, but I decided to stay. And, you know, I still have guilt and I have to do a lot of self-forgiveness work around that of like why I chose to stay. Everyone around me left. They saw how toxic it was, but, you know, probably growing up from a childhood story that, you know, especially being from the Midwest, it was like you give your loyalty and all to this job, no matter what the circumstances. And I think, you know, as I'm a millennial, I think that's something, a story that we were always told, you know, is stick with the job, stick it out. It'll get better. It'll get better. And instead of listening and trusting our intuition and listening to our body to get out when we needed to. And that's something I really want to help people with now too. Mm, I love to hear that because Actually, I mean, we talked about having the shared fashionista, you know, background, but I didn't really speak. I don't really speak about my fashion experience because I I had very similar to you, just feeling completely not valued at all. Mm-hmm. And within the structure of systems here in U.S., I always just blamed it on being black. Mm-hmm. That's always like, the easy easy out. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, though, it it was a very valid. Um, I could say, um, I don't have a better word, but excuse, um, because in my first full-time job, when I moved to New York, I moved to New York, kind of similar like you, my story was I went and interned at Saks and then I moved back and started interning at in, in Style Magazine. And then I wanted to have a full-time job. I needed a full-time job. So I ended up moving over to sales at um, BCBG. Mm-hmm. And I can say their name now because they're bankrupt. I don't even know if they're how, if they're even still existing. But um, but I was in a sales role there, um, and my uh, the, the I guess the, the sales manager, the national manager, was my boss, and um, told me that my hair and it was very much like this at the time in an afro. It was blonde. Was um, it was straightened one week? I mm-hmm. what put out and then had it back in an afro and he told me that I need to wear it back how it was straight because in its current afro state it was inappropriate for the work environment and it violated company policy my first job girl I was like 22 like you know like we were my first job out of college so I very much like you was like crushed like you could have you like literally just stepped on my whole identity Mm-hmm. And um, and especially like coming from Houston, coming from a place this this kind of segregated South kind of vibe, I really couldn't didn't know how to even process this. I would call my parents and a couple mentors, and they're like, "Girl, you better straighten your hair and go back to that job." You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> their reaction, which makes perfect sense. You know, like this is you know from coming from people who had to do what they had to do to pay bills, and I was very much like you. It was just like I had to find a different way so I ended up leaving that job and going and finding other you know roles that suited me yet that incident really stuck with me in a way I'm sure the one with you and that gentleman like your whole you were a shell I was a shell of a person like it was like 
everything from that moment on was about pleasing the environment, pleasing in the environment so that I could at least just be accepted, let maybe likes. And, um, and that's just not a healthy way to live. Not at, at all. all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, God bless fashion and, you know, the beauty and creativity of, of the industry. And I hope that one day maybe we can both find our way back there. <laughs> um, however, for real, it needs a lot of healing mm-hmm. and healing around just, I mean, we're dealing with humans. We're selling products with two humans. Like why aren't we bringing in that human element? Mm-hmm. And that's, and then the last point that I wanted to kind of, that resonated with me was when you share, you only told like your mom and your boyfriend and same with me. I was so embarrassed mm-hmm. by that incident that I didn't tell anybody. I think I told my parents, of course, and then like maybe a couple friends that were my roommates stuff. But one thing I do know and have learned is that trauma lives in silence. And so when we keep our mouths closed around these incidences and we don't broadcast it, it actually gives it a lot of, you know, energy because it, you know, it continues to fester on because it doesn't have those kind of counter um, ideas or aspects to really help to bring it more into balance. Mm-hmm. And so sharing for those that are listening and watching, if you're finding yourself resonating with our, with this conversation, sharing your traumas even with just trusted people is the surest way to healing. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. And when you let it live in your body, you know, you're starting to live in that state of disease where you're sick all the time and, you know, the fast way to burn out. So just talk about it. Yes. And I love too, that you brought up movement because um, I do yoga as well. I'm a Tai Chi master. I love movement. I grew up dancing. Like, it's my life. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't remember you saying anything about formal training, but who needs it when you're just in your body? Can you speak more to how movement has supported you along your journey and, and how what it looks like for you? Yes. Well, I grew up dancing too. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like my favorite was tap dancing and I really am trying to get back into it this year. <laughs> like, oh. I, I'm like falling asleep at night. It's like tap, like little steps go through my brain. So I'm like, I have to get back to it. So, you know, during all that time in fashion, I really didn't move my body. I was like trade show to trade show. Like it just never stopped. And so I found, um, dance cardio and sculpt are like my, you know, I tried all of it and I think everyone should try it all because, you know, you want to find something that you really love, but I did cycling. I did, hit workouts. Um, I tried all of it and I just did not like it. And I think as a dancer, like the sculpt and dance cardio really resonated with me. And I love dance cardio. It just, you're, you know, sometimes I'll cry afterwards because you're just releasing all of this out of your body. And I was like, I didn't even, you know, know I had all that pent up energy inside me and it just, Literally, yeah, the catalyst to my entire life change was just sitting down one day and moving my body. (laughs) And it's wild to think like it changed my entire life, but it's so important to be in your body and create that mind-body connection and moving that energy through your body and moving it out of your body. And so, yeah, I'm a dance cardio girl. (laughs) I love to hear that. And as it relates to like some of your work with your clients, do you do some of that movement work with them? 
I don't, I'm not a certified, I don't, not like a certified fitness, but I do, um, empower them to find movement that they love. So, um, you know, we go through an exercise where we talk about it and cause I want them to find what they love and what, cause that's, what's going to keep you consistent with it. And, you know, movement doesn't have to be dance cardio or yoga. It can be gardening, hiking, you know, doing laundry, like those things count as movement too. So it's really just being compassionate with yourself and realizing, you know, when you are moving your body versus, you know, and it doesn't have to be an hour a day. If it's 10 minutes a day, but you know, that it's all just you and you showed up and did that. And it's really just being proud of yourself and compassionate with yourself for what you are able to do. Cool. Well, could you share with us what would like a session look like with you? So when you work with folks, the self-love is so broad and it can look like many things like the movement we talked about or like formal teaching. What would you say would be kind of like your touch on um, your work with your clients? Yeah. So I have a roadmap that I follow. So each session looks different, um, but we start really with self-compassion and positive, you know, talking kindly to yourself. And then we work through self-forgiveness and our belief systems. And, Mm -hmm. um, and this is over multiple sessions or it could be a quick um, session as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do self-acceptance, which I think especially, you know, with the authenticity and being, you know, we kind of touched on that a little bit, like being as yourself in the workplace, Um, gratitude, because gratitude is the basis of, you know, abundance and manifestation, money mindset and attracting more into your life, then self-care. And I really, I think self-care is definitely like one of my specialties and that's when we like work through movement. I also talk about emotional eating, you know, especially at the workplace, sometimes you forget to eat or you're eating just because you had a stressful day. So really, again, creating that connection with your body through um, what you eat as well. And then we move on to self-trust, which is, you know, going through your intuition and learning how to trust yourself day to day. So that's kind of my roadmap that I use. And then of course, it's going to be different with, you know, through with each person. Yeah. And I would love if you can dig a little bit deeper into kind of what the acceptance part looks like, because I feel like um, that could be some of the hardest aspects of going through this journey is like, okay, I really don't have control of shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, and how do I really just accept where I am mm-hmm. and um, and talk through kind of what that looks like for you or you, even in your work? Yeah. So it's definitely feeling worthy, right? And accepting who you are right here, right now. And mm-hmm. knowing that you're amazing just because you exist. Yeah. And tough and, you know, the first couple rungs on that roadmap are tough, like, you know, self-forgiveness and self-acceptance, but it's worth it. And it's really that um, step in the roadmap, acceptance, knowing your worth. So not letting people walk all over you, not letting, accepting things into your life that you normally would. So it's like, it's also self-acceptance, but what do you accept into your life and what are you not? So creating those boundaries, Mm -hmm. creating, you know, if you're going to that toxic job, it's like, I'm not going to accept this into my life anymore. So it's really building that Mm self-worth and 
understanding what you're worthy of in your life. And it's not easy. Um, I really had to, it's tough for me personally, after everything that I experienced having someone, you know, tear me down year after year. And I really did have to work that self-worth like back up. And now I'm okay with setting boundaries and being like, I'm sorry, like your reactions to my boundaries are yours, not mine. And it's just really those like mindset shifts of what you're going to accept and not into your life. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Because I feel like maybe even for your best friend, like I don't know if you want to use her example or use you as an example, when Mm -hmm. you start to integrate these things into your, your being, how it shifts your entire environment. Mm-hmm. because I very much experienced this in my work and with clients when you're able to even just be grateful mm-hmm. not even maybe accept you know the people at your job but being grateful the fact that you're even able to, to benefit from the job that you're able to really shift your view and the way you interact with people at your workplace and and so um yes even when I think about myself what resonates with me mo- most deeply in that is just how when we're able to take control of how we feel of our emotions mm-hmm. um of our reactions to things mm-hmm. that we're able to really move mountains and whether that be people leaving you know our team that we didn't get along with or us leaving us having to make the exit it makes those transitions much more smoother mm-hmm. and um and i know even in in some of the work you do you work with a lot of professionals that are in jobs or entrepreneurs And what do you find is sort of like their biggest takeaway or their biggest success story from working with you? Definitely. I think the self-trust and that's why it's the last thing in the roadmap and just fully integrating that entire roadmap and coming away, trusting their decisions, trusting that everything will be okay, trusting Mm -hmm. their intuition, trusting their spirit guides or, you know, whatever they want to call, you know, who the universe, you know, whatever they want to use. And it's really just integrating the entire roadmap and knowing that they're going to be okay, no matter what. And, you know, especially, you know, with my friend, she's one of my, she's my first client. So she's like one of my favorite examples, but you know, we work together. That's when she trusted that she's going to leave that job because she was worth more. She learned in self-acceptance that she's worth more than what she was making. And she's worth more than she had shingles at age 31, like her body was like screaming at her for something else. So she knew, finally realized that she was worthy of something better and trusted herself that something better was going to come. And it did, like I said. So I think definitely the self-trust part is probably the most magical part that they come away with. Yeah. And for you, what do you feel like you've had to trust because it's been almost three years since you've made this transition. And I'm sure there had to be some challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. So what do you feel like was maybe one of the hardest things that you had to endure for yourself and your business and how you kind of overcame it with trust or maybe one of your other tools? I think it's, and maybe, I don't know your experience with this, but I think one of the hardest things of being an entrepreneur is how the less support you have from your family. And I was trying to think of a good way to say that, but you know, like they were all like, what are you doing? You know, and you kind of have to realize and trust yourself that you are making the right decision for you. And I think, and it's something that's still kind of hard for me when you're the rest of my family aren't entrepreneurs and 
they don't understand how hard it is some days. Like some days I'm on the floor crying, but you have to like trust yourself to get back up and that the impact that you're going to make. And for me, you know, for the leaders that I'm teaching, I want them to stop this cycle of toxic leadership. So I'm just thinking of that ripple out that's going to come and just doing me trusting me. And I would say that's definitely been the hardest part is not having like support from my family and some friends too. (laughs) Girl, if that ain't a word, because (laughs) not only do you not have support, sometimes they can be like diabolically against you. Mm -hmm. And that's been my experience, but I feel that that is a hundred percent the biggest challenge for entrepreneurship or just doing anything that goes against the grain Mm -hmm. is the resistance and or the dual duality nature of of this matrix that we're in that there's just going to be equal and opposite reaction period yeah and it's likely going to come from those areas in your life that you felt most comfortable in (laughs) Like you just automatically assume like, oh, my family loves me. They're going to support me. Or, oh, my my husband does, or my friends do, or my baby daddy or whoever. Mm -hmm. Hell no. You know, actually that you may expect that that the resistance and or pushback would come from those folks that are closest to you. So I feel you 100% on that. And for those that are listening and watching that may be going through this themselves, like to Lindsay's point, like you have to trust that what you've been called to do by God, by your higher self is what the fuck you supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to get up every day, even when you're feeling like things are falling apart. Like you said, you're on the floor crying. That was like my energy this morning, like screaming just at the top of my lungs because I just had to get it out. But this is just what life is about is like feeling into these emotions. Mm-hmm. feeling into the anger feeling into the frustration feeling into the annoyance feeling into all the things that we were too afraid to feel for too long in our lives yes probably not since we were toddlers like my son does a very good job of expressing his emotions okay <laughs> and me on the other hand I'm so confused you know most of the time when I'm feeling you know of these emotions because it's just still very new it's not very practice I've been doing this work for a few years but I've also been living for 30 something years, not doing this. Yeah. So, um, so absolutely the hardest part is, you know, not having or not feeling rather fully supported, mm-hmm. but reality, it's almost like we're more supported because you mentioned like the spirit team, you mm-hmm. have your ancestors, you have, you know, other mentors that show up into your life, teachers, it may not be the same family. But it's your soul family. That's what I like to call it. The soul family that shows up. Like how we're here together, communing with each other and sharing. And I just met you, you know, things that you wouldn't even talk to your own family members about you're sharing right now. So this is kind of the beauty and the blessings, I believe, that come out of this path. Yeah. And I think also really knowing how to support yourself, right? (laughs) It's like, people to see me or hear me this is something I really and I've been working on is that I don't need other people to see me and hear me because I can see and hear myself now I can hold that space for myself and yes I do have my crew but you know just being able to do that for myself is something I could couldn't say three years ago and Mm. just very proud of that (laughs) yes that is a huge accomplishment and I have to say the same for myself because even though I've been doing this work 
I've shared, maybe I have on, on this podcast, I don't know, but three years ago when I was doing my journaling and kind of going through my path, or maybe it was like four years ago now, I remember writing in my journal, like I hate myself. Like I was so just unhappy having just had my son and taking care of my mom and dealing with a toxic relationship. I was just in such a low place, toxic family members. I mean, it was the pit, mm-hmm. like literally like the pits of hell. And not having that love for yourself, it makes it feel like a hell pit. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, and I'm sure you can maybe say the same, we're maybe going through even harder challenges or more, you know, extreme challenges. But because we have much more confidence and awareness and love for ourselves, it doesn't feel like the pits. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does hurt and mm-hmm. it may not be what we desire in this moment. Yet we can still find value and appreciation in the experiences. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think that's why self-love is so important and why I want it, you know, and why I do teach it to leaders is because it's a foundational strategy, foundational habits. Like you can go yeah. to a job, become an entrepreneur, volunteer, like no matter what you're doing, it's going to be rooted in self-love. And, yeah. you know, and even for us as entrepreneurs, when we step into each higher higher and higher and we're stepping into new factions of our business we can still root ourselves down into self-love and you know you're gonna I call it a spiral staircase sometimes you're gonna be on the dark side but you know how to come back around and be back in the light so but these you know practices are definitely and just the feeling of self-love just changed everything. <laughs> I love it. So you mentioned baths and I've just recently become a bath woman. I was not a bath person for since I was a kid. And now I can't live without my salt baths. What are some other self-love practices that Lindsay cannot live without? Oh my gosh. Um dancing, even if it's just playing Taylor Swift and like dancing around my kitchen. It's just something that has to be done. Okay. Taylor. you know a bath and a book are like my number one top things it's just like putting your phone down putting your laptop down just reading a book and not even a self-help book just like a fiction book and escaping into another world Mm -hmm. um definitely it's I know it's weird but as a self-love like practice I love reality tv and like escaping into that like it's you know um love it. I love cooking because I love, I think that's another way to just work through your energy at the end of the night is I love just chopping and like yes, watching my show, cooking dinner. Um, and then taking myself on dates, like taking the train out to the ocean or spending time with my husband, um, you know, and my animals, I think those always fill me up. Um, I think what else? Being out in the sun. <laughs> Those are great ones. Those are really great ones. And yeah. we talk about your partner because that's a critical aspect of the journey too, is having that divine union mm-hmm. and love in your mate. And, you know, how did that come about for you? Was that kind of during this transitional aspect of, you know, the past three years or was that before? Oh, I definitely remember manifesting him because it was like, I was healing through a bunch of stuff and, um, it was just like one of those days where you just wake up and I was like, today is going to be a great day. It's going to be the best day ever. And I remember like having my earbuds on and like walking through downtown LA and just, you know, having that energy. And then 
three days later, I met him at a concert and we ended up living across the street from each other and all of LA. Yeah. Lived across the street from each other. Cause he's like, what are your cross streets? And I told him, and he's like, those are my cross streets. And I was what? like, yes. <laughs> when was it? This was a few years ago. No, we started dating in 2015. It was like okay. a first date. And then we like never stopped after that. We just wow. got six months ago. It feels like two years ago, but yeah, we got married six months ago. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. And yeah, he's amazing. He supports me in everything I do and is you know, there when I'm in my downtimes, but he's just always been so supportive and like our souls and values and all of that is the same. And I just couldn't be more thankful for him. (laughs) Yes. That is a beautiful sharing because I feel like for those that are watching and listening that we feel like we have to be with our, if, as we're going through the healing journey, we have to find someone that kind of like is our mate, you know? And Yes, that could be possible, but then there's also someone who can grow in love with you and grow in your spiritual ascendancy with you. And it seems that your your partner is doing that with you. Is even though you're on your ascension path, he's supporting you along it and may be inspired to do his own, or yeah. if, if he isn't already. And I hope that that encourages folks who are in relationship to not necessarily give up because that person doesn't do what they want to do or have the same rituals or think very spiritually like they do, because that was also my thinking is that that person had to be just like me in that way. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And he's grown with me because he's, you know, we started dating when I was in that toxic job. So he's seen like all the sides of me and how much I've changed in the last couple of years. And, you know, he, so he definitely sees like all the work that I'm doing and how it can change a person, but he's very, you know, he lets me do what I want to do, but I do talk to him about like mindset shifts and like gratitude and all of that. And it's very interesting. And some, not like I manifest through him, but He's in the um, entertainment industry, which is very like you have a job for a few months and then it's, you know, then you're unemployed for a few months. It's very like where you can find the next job, you know, and just this last month, you know, I was like, I sat him down because he was kind of down on his luck. And I was like, you know, feel all your feelings, like get it out. Um, And then I was like, but why don't we just try being a little bit more positive, like money mindset stuff. He was doing that stuff that I talked about, like at the grocery store. He's like, oh, this one's a dollar more. And I was like, we have to stop with that mindset, you know? And I was like, I don't think like this. And I think that money is always going to come back to us. And then literally after we sat down and had that talk and he changed kind of his outlook. um, Yeah. Like three days later, he got a job offer. (laughs) it's magic and I was like it is yes you can attract it it into your life but you you know need to be in the right mindset and yes yeah so he's all for it (laughs) well I think that's a perfect way to start to like segue into our closing is that it's all in the mindset Mm -hmm. and I would love for you just to speak a little bit more about what you're offering right now if there's anything fresh um, or something that we didn't, you know, dig into and then how folks can stay in touch with you or reach out to you to work with you. Yeah. So I am launching my new program. It's called not your dad's leadership (laughs) (laughs) because it really focuses on, I call it the skills behind the skills. You know, you can learn negotiation or communication, but what's the mindset that you're coming into with that? What's the Mm. energy you're coming into with that? Mm. So, um, we really work through that roadmap that I talked about and, Mm. um, 
at the end, you're going to be trusting yourself and (laughs) just fully aware of your emotions, how to regulate your emotions at work. Um, And then one of my life goals is to stop the cycle of toxic positivity. So having it stop at person above you and not trickling that down. Yeah. You. So it's really learning, you know, that self-acceptance and self-care, work-life balance. So it's really working through all of that. So that is for people in the workplace, um, leaders, rising leaders, and um, yeah, to learn those skills behind the skills. <laughs> and that's available now. It's at theselfloveknowing.com. <laughs> hey, theselfloveknowing.com. And what about your uh, social media and email, anything like that you want to share? Yeah, they're all self-love knowing. Um, my Facebook's Lindsay Huxford and then Instagram's at the self-love knowing and TikTok's at the self-love knowing. <laughs> LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn because I'm a workplace nerd. <laughs> yeah, same. Same. <laughs> I love cool. And I love that you call it not your dad's leadership because when I was when I was actually at Harvard Business School, my my our home kind of homeroom professor, for lack of better words, would say this is not your dad's HBS mm-hmm. because it was much more of a for them a touchier feelier space. Mm-hmm. And this is next level. Like this is not just touchy feely. This is like, you know, getting into the energy of it. This is into the metaphysical aspects of it, the spiritual aspects of it. So it's certainly not your dad's dad's leadership. Exactly. So and I'm sending you. I'm sending light energy for that growth of that program because we need much more of this in our workplaces because this is a global movement. This is a planetary movement. This is a human movement. And we all need to be on board. Mm -hmm. Yes. The two rules of the program are number one, you have to treat yourself like a human. And number two is you have to treat others like a human. (laughs) Bring an aspect into it. (laughs) We're humans. Okay. Um, (laughs) All right. Well, Thank you all for watching. If you made it to the end, congratulations. Um, you can always catch me at I am Erin Patton on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And of course, you can find more resources on our website, themetabusiness.world, and continue to tune in to the Meta Business Millennial Podcast. It has been such a pleasure and honor to speak with you today. Miss Lindsay, you're amazing. Thank you. So are you. (laughs) Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you all on our next episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast. Much love to you all. Peace. Did you really love this episode of the Meta Business Millennial Podcast? Awesome. I am honored. That was so good. And I appreciate you subscribing, leaving a review, and sharing it with your friends. Because your feedback allows us to co-create more enlightened conversations. And if you're interested in growing your soul now, head over to my website, erinpatton.com to find all the show notes, links, and free resources to get your energy activated today. In the meantime, stay bright, my friends. Much love and light. Peace. Peace.